0: The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Penitence. St. John the Baptist was the son of Zachary, and the word of God came to him, not merely that he might treasure it within himself, but that he might also communicate it to others. The divine word comes into a heart in two ways. First, when our Lord speaks to it, to instruct and enlighten it concerning his will and good pleasure, making known what is necessary for its guidance and its own individual concerns. The second is when it comes into the heart, not for itself alone, but that it may also be carried and communicated to others, so that they might know the divine will. Our text, then, The word of the Lord came to the son of Zachary, must be understood in both these ways. First, St. John was chosen and elected by God to be his voice, his herald. Note here that no one can be received to orders or the episcopate unless the sacred word has come to him. That is, unless he is chosen and elected by God. Now this choice or election is commonplace and normal, and we ought neither to desire nor to seek special and extraordinary callings. Actually, such extraordinary callings. authenticated and confirmed by pastors and masters of the spiritual life. As for St. John, he was chosen and elected by God, who himself authenticated his calling and manner of proceeding. He sent him before him, and he came after him, preaching what John had preached. In the second place, this word signified that the Lord had given him a ministry in which he must labor for others announcing to them the necessity of penitence. From all this, we are taught that when God bestows some responsibility upon those whom he has chosen for his service, as upon preachers, they must apply themselves to their duty diligently and communicate to others what they have received and what God has given them for this purpose. It is in this sense that we ought to understand these words of the gospel. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zachary, who was chosen by divine wisdom to be the precursor of our divine Savior. He ought to proclaim his word, preach penitence, and perform the functions of his office. He was bound to cry out that the people must prepare the way and that they must level the paths and roads of the Lord. The people whom he addressed were likewise bound to listen to receive the baptism he offered them, and to do what he told them. If the preacher has the duty to preach to you, you also have that of listening to him and of receiving with good dispositions what he announces to you on behalf of God. I come here to preach to you, but if I am bound to bring the divine word to you, you are bound to pay attention to it, and not only that, but to learn it well, and carry out what you are taught. For this you must indeed masticate well what is heard and garnered, and endeavor to digest it well. For of what good would it have been to the Israelites for God to have sent them manna in the desert for their nourishment, if they had not been willing to gather and collect it, if they had not been willing to eat it, so that it might become part of their own substance? Surely when divine providence let the manna fall from heaven, it obliged the children of Israel to rise in the morning to collect it before the sun rose on the horizon. Not only that, but also to eat and swallow it in order to be nourished and strengthened. Likewise, those who hear God's word are duty-bound to keep it and profit by it. There are two reasons why people do not profit by the word of God. The first is that though they may indeed hear it and be interiorly moved by it, they postpone its accomplishment until tomorrow. Alas, we poor creatures do not realize that this procrastination is the cause of our death and destruction, and that our good is found in the present moment, which is today. Our life is the today in which we are living. Who can promise himself a tomorrow? Absolutely no one no matter who he is. Our life consists in today, in this present moment in which we are living, and we cannot promise or assure ourselves of any other than that which we now enjoy, however brief that may be. Now if this is so, how dare we put off doing what we have heard to be useful for our conversion, since our whole life really depends on each present moment when we hear what must be done. This is the first reason why we often do not profit from what is said and taught to us. The second reason is spiritual avarice, by which we seek to obtain a great deal of knowledge and to amass a huge stock of devotional exercises. You will find some people who never tire of amassing new writings and instructions, all sorts of spiritual advice and information, and who nevertheless do not put any of it into practice. What is that if not spiritual avarice, a truly serious fault in the devout life? You will find others who must always be hearing and seeing something new. To attract attention, they collect innumerable books and create libraries that are wonders to behold. Poor creatures, what is the purpose in all that? They will respond... We are practicing foresight in anticipating our future needs. When older, we will make good use of them. Do you not realize that our Lord strongly desired to remove such avarice and anxiety from his disciples' hearts and commanded them to live from hand to mouth and to have no anxiety about tomorrow? Indeed, among the ordinances which God imposed on the children of Israel was the command to collect only a certain measure of manna, that is, only what was necessary for each one's daily portion. Furthermore, he commanded that no one should store any for the morrow, that no one should gather more than was specified in an attempt to make provision, for it would breed worms and rot. Live each day well. Eat what is given you, and you will nourish yourself well by putting that into practice. Leave the rest to divine providence which will surely provide sufficiently for your needs. Use well only what is given you, and be free of all other care. It is a fact that meats which are stored breed worms, and I believe that the worms that torment the consciences of the damned are not the least but the greatest pain they endure. And what are these worms, if not the active and biting pangs of remorse of conscience which sting and torment the soul at the vivid remembrance of so many means and opportunities they had of serving God. What remorse of conscience will they feel at death, seeing the numerous writings, advice, and instructions they had received for their perfection? These will be the cause of their greatest pain. So spiritual avarice is the second reason why we fail to profit from God's word. Let us return to our gospel. I shall explain it to you as simply as possible. But to do so, I must briefly relate the account. At the time that Tiberius Caesar was emperor, Herod was Tetrarch of Galilee, Pontius Pilate was presiding in Jerusalem, and Annas and Caiaphas were high priests and sitting in the chair of Moses, God sent his prophet, who was his voice that cried in the desert, Make straight the way of the Lord. Do penance for salvation is at hand. We shall take as an explanation of these words those which Isaiah spoke to the Israelites in chapter 40 of his prophecies. These verses are among the most comforting and pleasing that can be heard. It is truly a delight to read the writings of that holy prophet. His words are a river of honey, overflowing with incomparable wisdom. From his very first chapter, we find a remarkable style. Surely he is a river and torrent of eloquence. The people of Israel had been led forth into captivity by the Gentiles and sent as prisoners among the Medes and Persians. After their long captivity, the good Cyrus decided to free them from that slavery and lead them back to the promised land. Foreseeing this, the prophet Isaiah wrote these beautiful and heavenly poetic words. O people of Israel, be consoled and comforted. Again I tell you, be consoled and comforted. Let these words console you. Because your malice and wickedness have reached their height, your sins shall be forgiven. Therefore, make level your ways and straight your roads, so that Cyrus may find no rough ways while leading the people back to the promised land. There are a great many interpretations of this text, because they have reached the height of their malice, what does he mean? Why does the prophet say that God will pardon the people of Israel because they have reached the height of their malice? This is how the ancient fathers say that these words should be understood. When they had reached the limit of their labors and sufferings and had, in slavery and bondage, come to a greater sense of their iniquities, when they had been punished enough for their wickedness by such tribulation, then I, the Lord, cast my compassionate eyes upon them. At the height of their malice, during the worst of their days, I was satisfied that they had suffered enough for their sins, and therefore I determined that their sin shall be forgiven. Anticipating this period of great suffering... Jacob cried out, My days, though short, are full of affliction. By this he meant, Life is short, only a passing shadow, soon gone. Yet it is full of affliction, overburdened with the many labors that accompany it. Though short, it is always full of evils. He spoke in this way because of the great labors and tribulations His people were going to endure in exile. This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS, published in 1987 by Tan Books and Publishers Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876.